Welcome to The Wellness Connection with your hosts, Roddy Aglis and Peter McCarthy. Our program provides you with timely and relevant information on the state of your health and the topics surrounding it, such as natural remedies, green living, expert opinions, important facts, and more to contribute to your healthy lifestyle. Now, here are Peter McCarthy and Roddy Aglis. Hello and welcome to The Wellness Connection. I'm your co-host, Roddy Aglis. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. Today on The Wellness Connection, our special guest is nutritionist Keith Klein, known to many as the father of eating management. He will share his professional philosophy that has helped countless people reach their health goals. And on our health freedom segment, attorney and activist Scott Tips will update us on the latest coming from the UN Codex Talks around the globe. All this, as well as the supplement of the week, the burning question, and the drug-induced nutrient depletion report. But to start things off, though, Radia, you have a report that sheds new light on a nutrient many people haven't even heard of. Yes, it does, Peter. A recent study published in Clinical Nutrition Research has shown that pycnogenol, a standardized extract from the bark of the French maritime pine, can have a positive effect on the levels of CRP and inflammation, CRP being C-reactive protein, which is a marker for for inflammation. The study was a systematic review and meta-analysis whose goal was to clarify the effect of pycnogenol supplementation on C-reactive protein concentration. In studies from PubMed, Scopus, and Google scholars, five trials included 324 participants were included in this meta-analysis. The review and meta-analysis suggested pycnogenol consumption can decrease the level of CRP and have an anti-inflammatory effect. The authors suggested that pycnogenol as an anti-inflammatory agent might be a priority in the intervention, but that further studies with large scale and better designs are needed to confirm this result. Yeah, it's a preliminary uh, study for sure, but it certainly is does have some good news in that it gives uh, nutritionists and uh, integrative healthcare professionals another tool in their toolbox to combat CRP. Well, you know, what's interesting too is what I'm used to using pycnogenol for is uh, endometriosis, which kind of makes sense because of the inflammatory and pain uh, that surrounds endometriosis. It probably is this article kind of verifies why so much pain and, and swelling comes with that and why pycnogenol works very well for that. So it's a, it's a new expansion of the use of pycnogenol. And Peter, your report has some important health information regarding wireless technology. Yes, it does, Roddy. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this before with our uh, guest Jim Turner in a couple of episodes. This is courtesy of World Health News. Although fairly new Wi-Fi has become something that most people can't imagine living without, and some can't work without it, studies are taking a look at what it is doing to health and have shown it to increase risks of brain cancer and a variety of other illnesses. Radio frequency electromagnetic fields have been classified as a possible carcinogen by the International Agency for Research on Cancer. 
This means Wi-Fi ranks up there with lead, DDT, and chloroform. This classification was made by the group which is part of WHO after careful assessment of extensive scientific evidence, quote, based on increased risks for glioma, which is a type of brain cancer, associated with wireless phone use, unquote. A link between EMF and brain cancer, as well as cancer of the salivary glands, has been shown in studies. And women who keep their mobile devices in their bras have higher risks for breast cancer, and exposure has been linked to other problems such as miscarriages, anxiety, depression, migraines, ADHD, chronic fatigue, and low sperm count. Well, Radia, this is no, really not any news to you and me, but it's really more uh, up-to-date information about the potential health consequences of Wi-Fi. Well, and all of these symptoms that you're describing, I mean, to me and you in our practice, oh, my God, this is just ubiquitous. Anxiety, depression, migraines, you know, ADHD, chronic fatigue, you know, insomnia, all of these things are... I've been in practice for 30 years, and I have never seen so much, uh, you know, of these symptoms coming coming from our, you know, consumers. As have I. And what's really sad is how many times have you had someone walk into your store, as I have in mine, and they, from the time they walk in to the time they walk out, they have a cell phone in their ear. Yeah, and Bluetooth and all of these other things, all of these yes. devices are just, you know, we're, it's getting quite, quite alarming, actually, because I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, really, are we going to go back to the rotary dial? I don't think so. So, you know, I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. But, you know, remember, we talked with Jim Turner a few weeks ago about 5G, which is coming down the pike and pretty scary. Yeah, and he's promised that uh, on one of our later shows this season, uh, he's going to give us an update on that. So I'm mm -hmm. uh, really looking forward to that. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our featured guest for today, nutritionist Keith Klein, initially trained in clinical nutrition at the Institute of Specialized Medicine during the late 1970s. He spent five years as head of the dietetics department at the Institute working alongside six of Houston's most prestigious physicians. Throughout the 1980s, Keith worked first at Houston's Bariatric Center with psychiatrist Dr. John H. Sims, serving as dietetic director, and then at the Texas Nutrition Clinic and the Houston Sports Medicine Clinic. During this time, Keith combined all of his previous experiences in clinical practice with the dietary protocol for a wide range of athletic endeavors and sports. Today, Keith owns and operates the Institute of Eating Management and Relapse Prevention Center, which he opened in 1990. He is the chief of nutrition for the Houston Sheriff's Department and nutritionist for the Houston Arrows hockey team. He has also developed an online coaching program with professional bodybuilder and CEO of Labrata Nutrition called Lean Body Coaching. He's the author of several books, including Get Lean and Weight Control for a Young America. Keith, welcome to the Wellness Connection. Well, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Hey, it's great, great hearing from you again, Keith. And I just want to ask you, please walk us through where your career began and how you ended up where you are today. Well, you kind of touched on it. In my background, I really started in clinical nutrition, and it was a great time for me because 
really, that's why I learned that food was medicine, right? I headed up the diabetic ward there. We worked with a lot of obesity. We worked with all kinds of different clinical things, but predominantly it was the diabetic ward. And what I saw and what the doctors began to see, because there were a lot of doctors during those years that were very hesitant about bringing nutritionists on. And as far as I know, we're probably the first institute in Houston that actually combined the ideas and methodologies of nutrition with medicine. And the doctors, some of them were kind of old school, and they were very resistant to the whole thing. But what started to happen was less medicines were needed. People were healing quicker. Uh, people that were type 2 diabetic no longer were. And the doctors really had opened up their eyes to the power of food because they all knew about the power of drugs and medicines. But I think they really didn't understand really the power of food until we all started working together. Mm-hmm. When I went to work with Dr. Sims and we did um, nothing but eating disorders, that was a formidable time for me because I'm, I'm kind of known these days as the father of eating management, if you can imagine that. And from a very early on, I really never felt like dieting was productive. In fact, I find the dietetic community spends a lot of time telling people all the things they can eat. And I find myself spending a lot of time telling folks of all the things they can eat. And during those years, I was writing papers for psychological journals. One of them was titled The Psychology of Deprivation. And all of my formidable work today at the institute where I'm at now really uh, combines the sports nutrition with the psychology of eating management, with the clinical side. And what it's done is it's made for such an incredible, well-rounded place for people to come, you know, where they're really suffering with their health or they're trying to have a physical transformation or lose weight. And we don't, we never, and I've been doing this now almost 40 years, And I have never once put up a before and after picture. The only thing I ever put up is an after after. In other words, these people have kept the weight off 10, 14, 12, 20, uh, you know, five years. And, you know, you always have to wonder what on earth happened after that before and after picture of that person 12 weeks afterwards, right? But we have an incredible body, literally hundreds of these after after pictures where people have kept their weight off for a long time. And I attribute that to the combination of all my work prior to opening up uh, the Institute of Eating Management. So that's, that's kind of what got me here, and that's the kind of work I do today, is I blend all of those things together to help the clients overcome whatever their issues might be. You know, Keith, uh, one of the things you didn't, we didn't mention in your bio that uh, I'd like you to touch on for a moment is you have uh, nutritionally trained some fairly high-profile athletes. And tell, uh, tell our listeners a little bit, what, um, what, does it, uh, what are the differences in training an athlete nutritionally and working with somebody who maybe has a weight management issue? Well, I think it's all about athletes have what we call an athletic mindset. I suppose I could tell a bodybuilder to go out and eat donkey dung, and I swear to you, he'd be out following a a donkey around with a loaf of bread. Their discipline, their level of commitment to eat this way, to perform that way, is above and beyond normal. And with eating management clients, you really have to temper that with openness, uh, flexibility, Uh, Let them know it's okay to have different kinds of foods, greater variety. You'll find a lot of these athletes are redundant eaters. They'll just eat the same thing over and over like a machine. It's not that they care so much about the taste or flavor. The real thing they care most about is, you know, the outcome of their sports. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and we had, I had a laugh earlier. You talked about the Houston Arrows. I used to be them. We don't have a hockey team anymore. I used to uh, work with them on their team. And it was a really great time for me because I got to be around all these great athletes. I worked with people like Mary Lou Redden, who is an Olympic gymnast, gold medalist. I worked with eight different gold medal winners in Olympic sprinting. Um, so I've had an amazing opportunity uh, to work with so many great people. Wow. So let me ask Yeah, so I've, I've had the opportunity to work with Olympic athletes, pro bodybuilders, um, ice skaters of all things. It's been a great career. Baseball players. Um, but I will tell you the main thing with eating management clients is you have to teach them a lifestyle, whereas the athletes are so rigid, their lifestyle is already, they're, they're ready for it, you know, and they're much more rigid than eating management patients need to be. Yeah, you authored so many books. One, I recall, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a textbook for the University of, of Houston on uh, sports nutrition. Yeah, so... Um, Dr. Bloom, uh, he headed up some kinesiology classes and all that, and he actually became a client of mine one day, and he was sitting out in the lobby reading one of my books, and he was just absolutely, you know, floored by it. He just really wanted that book to be utilized in his classes when he taught nutrition, and then what he did is he had me come down and speak to the class every, every, say, six or eight weeks, and I would go down there and get in front of the class and talk to him about the philosophies of nutrition. You know, I got to tell you what I've been working on for 40 years is actually what I refer to as called nutrient partitioning. And just hear me out on this because, you know, it's the thing that has, has really helped a lot of people change their eating. And it operates off the position that the human body can only assimilate so much fuel at one time, right? So many calories, so many grams of protein, so many grams of carbs and fat. And all of this research I've been doing over the years stems from my early years working with the diabetic patients. And we've all heard the idea that all weight loss is predicated on a caloric reduction. And while that is somewhat true, it's not totally true. The fact is, I can actually have somebody eat more food and more calories and get them to lose weight. So let me give an example of nutrient partitioning. And by the way, how you eat is predicated on the sports you do, how much you exercise, and what you tell me you want to have happen. So bodybuilders aren't eating like dancers. Dancers aren't eating like pro boxers. Pro boxers certainly aren't eating like long-distance runners. And let's just say, Radia, that your body can assimilate about 300 calories at one time. Now, we all know that if you eat 600 calories at that one time and the body can only utilize 300, the excess is either going to spill into fat cells or be oxidized off into the air as heat. The fattest people, the heaviest people, the most overweight people that I meet are two-meal-a-day eaters. And these people that come in, the reason they're overweight is let's just say that somebody said to this lady, listen, you're supposed to eat 1,200 calories a day, but she only eats two meals, and at each meal, she eats 600 calories. She ate the right amount of calories for the day, 1,200, but she can't lose weight because she's overeating at each feeding. So what ends up happening is she can only assimilate the 300 calories. She can only assimilate so many grams of protein, carbs, and fat. And when she's eating 600 calories, it's double the amount that she can utilize. And so even though she eats 1,200 calories, she just can't lose weight because of the manner in which she consumes her food. Now, that same lady, I can give her five feedings, balanced equally, 300 calories each with the right quality of food because quality of food matters. And she's now eating 1,500 calories a day, never hungry, full of energy, and also losing weight. And we're doing that all the time. 
So, you know, so many old world thoughts about all weight loss is predicated on a caloric reduction. If that held totally true, how is it possible that I gave this person more calories and more meals and actually generate a weight loss? And so what we see by doing nutrient partition is it helps them never get hungry. They don't binge. They feel satisfied all the time. You know, that, that makes perfect sense, Keith. So it begs the question, uh, you know, one, there are so many fad diets out there right now. And, and one popular one is intermittent fasting, which kind of goes counter to what you just said. So what's your feeling on that? Okay, so I'm open to a lot of different modalities of weight loss, right? I mean, there could be many different approaches. However, what, that, what you have to be concerned about is what weight am I losing, right? So if you're losing muscle and you've lost 10 pounds and out of that 10 pounds, five of it came out of muscle, if you're just strictly looking at your weight, you're happy because you're losing weight. But what I'm going to say is that Keep in mind the two meal a day eaters are intermittent fasting, aren't they? They skip breakfast, they basically eat, you know, a lunch and a dinner, and then they go all those hours. The second problem I have with eating less meals is that as, and this really affects females more than males, as they go longer and longer hours without food, it really has a big influence on their blood sugar, which then in turn has an effect on their thyroid function. And I think you can really mess up a female's hormones by going too long without food. Keep in mind, the biggest people I see are two-meal-a-day eaters. The second thing that's really important is quality of food. With intermittent fasting, they really don't pay attention to the quality of food you're eating. So people could eat, you know, all different kinds of calories and they could be utilized differently. So at the end of the day, I look at quality of food, meal frequency, I look at their athleticism, I look at how much I feel they can utilize and set them up that way. But remember, I don't weigh people on a scale. We do total body compositions. We don't just weigh them. I want to make sure that your muscle is being fed while your fat is being starved. Well, this, this is great information, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause us here for a second. Uh, we'll continue our interview with nu nutritionist Keith Klein after a brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Balance and good health. Two essential building blocks for a full and rich life, but sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost, and you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life, but not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit WAAYB.com to learn more and use the code WellnessConnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. 
Welcome back to the Wellness Connection and our continuing interview with nutritionist Keith Klein. Keith, one of the things you really focus on is the issue of deceptive labeling of food products. Can you please give us an example of the most deceptive practices you see being used on labels today that totally turn the consumer into believing they are eating right when they're not? You bet. So look, um, if labels are the guidelines by which we have to choose healthy foods, and the very labels themselves are deceitful and misleading, how can Americans ever actually choose a healthy food? And let me give you an example, because we have three different agencies that regulate labels, right? We have the USDA that regulates meat and dairy. We have the FDA that regulates all the other foods. And then we have the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms that regulate uh, alcohol. So the labeling of these things is divided between three different entities. And it's almost as if they don't communicate with one another. Now imagine this. You look at a ground turkey product, and I think most people would agree getting off of ground beef and switching over to ground turkey would be a beneficial thing to do. In fact, you're going to see a label that says 93% fat-free, 7% fat. And anybody looking at that label is going to say, if you ask them, what is the percentage of fat of that food, they're going to say 7%. It's not. By law, no company in America has to actually list the true percentage of fat on a label. They don't have to, so they don't, and they won't. And so when you see a food that says 7% fat on the front of the label, included with 93% fat-free, that food is actually a 45% fat food. In other words, that ground turkey has the exact same percentage of fat as T-bone steak. And most Americans would believe that they ate a low-fat food. You know, the definition of consumer fraud is the deliberate intent to deceive one for the financial gain of another. So let me ask you this. If you saw a food that said 7% fat and it really wasn't, wouldn't you buy that food based on that thinking it's a low-fat food? Right? Most people would. But now you find out later that's a high-fat food. That company benefited by their deception because you believed it was a low-fat food, it was really high-fat. Remember, when you see 7% fat on the cover of a label, it refers to the product's fat by weight, not its fat by calories, and those are two completely different things. And I don't know if you know this, but foods that are 100% fat are allowed to label themselves as fat-free. Really? You know, there's all kinds of loopholes. Absolutely. Look at, look at uh, the, the brand, I can't believe it's not butter. It's a good product to use if you use a spray or two. But read the back of the label and it'll tell you there's zero fat and zero calories. Yet that one pint container contains 900 calories and almost 90 grams of fat. How can a food that's virtually 100% fat claim that it's fat free? It's based in the serving size. So when you turn it back around, it says you're supposed to get like 922 servings uh, out of this little bottle. I don't think so. <laughs> my problem with this is this. That's it's like not a, a bad like product. A fingernail full of it, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's my problem with that. If you label a food as fat-free, having no fat and no calories, what's going to stop a person from uncapping the bottle and pouring it on their baked potato and chicken breast, which I have clients who've done before? Sure. So you see they're totally deceived, but again – the, the loopholes in the label industry are just rampant. And it's just crazy. You know, I would like to see us list the teaspoons of sugar on a label, not the grams. Because let's face it, when I was in kindergarten some, you know, 60 years ago, they were telling me, we're going to switch over to this metric system, and it's never happened. 
When people see the grams of sugar on a label, let's just say in a can of regular soda, there's 40 grams. To convert it to teaspoons, you simply divide it by four. And so now you can see that that can of regular soda has 10 packets of sugar in it. And I think that would change the outlook of people on what they were doing if they could see it in a more relatable way. That's a good idea. You know, you were talking a lot about fat. So this obviously made me ask you, what do you think of the keto diet? Well, I don't like to do things that cause long-term harm to people's bodies. Mm -hmm. And remember that a keto diet is highly acidic. So you hear the word ketoacidosis, right? Mm -hmm. When you drop your carbs and you begin creating ketones, your body has to be in an acidic state. You can't create ketones in an alkaline state. Now, keep in mind that the blood can never become acidic. The urine can, but not the blood. When the bloodstream starts to become acetic, we have a pH-based balance. If you get too alkaline, you die. If you get too acetic, you die, right? Well, when the blood starts to become acetic under the conditions of a ketogenic diet, the body cannot allow that blood to get acetic. So what it's going to do is it's going to buffer the blood by drawing calcium ions out of the bone. And that's how it maintains a pH-based balance. It's normal of something like a 7. It's not healthy in the long term. Right. So for me, I don't judge all these different diets. What I say is this, is the plan that you're following totally sustainable? Can you do it the rest of your life? If you want to go keto and you want to do that the rest of your life, great, that's fine. I don't have any issue with you trying to do that. I would never do that. I don't want my clients doing that. But if that's what you decide, are you telling me that for the rest of your life, you're never going to have a potato or rice or toast? Well, you know, I don't think it's sustainable. And so what I look for when people are making lifestyle changes, it has to be sustainable. Don't make a change if you cannot sustain it over the long haul. That's how we get these long-term results, making sure they never give up their favorite foods. They simply adjust them. And if you were drinking alcohol four days a week and now you do it once, aren't you doing better? Mm-hmm. And if you can sustain that, that's what I'm looking for, four or five changes that are creating your problem. Now let's change them, adjust them to a place where you believe you could live with it that way and then the weight will stay off for the long term. Keith, you know, since we were on the subject of your, your counseling style, uh, you use reframing a lot in uh, your, the, your work with clients. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. How does that work? Well, you know, the brain is an interesting thing. And what happens is people have what we call defective thoughts. And the problem is they don't recognize them as defective thoughts. So when I listen to people speak, what we're doing is using neuro-linguistic programming techniques to get them to change the defective thought into an effective thought. So here's an example. How many people out there will say to themselves, I'm going to start my diet on Monday, right? That feels proactive. It feels good. Look at what I'm about to do. I'm going to start my diet on Monday. Now, what the brain's going to do with that is completely different. Instead of saying you're going to start your diet on Monday, you'd be far better off to state it more clearly and say something like this. I'm going to see how fat I can get before Monday. Because the thought occurs to me that I have to stop eating bad by Monday, so I better eat as much as I get my hands on before Monday. And so what I look for is I look for the thoughts and phrases that people use and try to point out the other side of it so that they can be more true to their thoughts, more more effective. Um, We've all heard somebody say, Uh, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it, right? Mm -hmm. That's a common statement a lot of people say in the diet business. That's really rooted in the pain-pleasure principle of life, right? 
In other words, we move towards pleasure, we move away from pain. And when somebody says, I know what to do, I'm just not doing it, what they're actually saying is this. Although I'm uncomfortable the way I look and feel right now, what you're telling me I have to do to change it is more uncomfortable. Are you suggesting I have to cook food, carry it, and work out too? That seems too painful, right? So long as the person sees the change in a painful way, they'll never move into it. So my job is to get people to see the change in a positive way. Always focus on the positive. And I get my clients to focus on what they're doing right. I don't have them focus for a second on what they're doing wrong because it perpetuates more desire to keep doing it because it feels good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if there's, if there's like one thing that you would tell a person to, even to just get them motivated to change, you know, what would that, what would, what would Keith Klein say to me? Come on, Keith, give me your best shot. <laughs> give me the <laughs> Well, first of all, I would have interviewed you and I'd know more about your thought processes and gathered some ideas of what you're up against. But let me say this. I would ask you to write down the top five things that you think are holding you back from getting what you say you want. Then I would ask you just to spend one or two weeks fixing one of them. But don't go to the next one until that first one that you worked on is is permanent. In other words, you feel so good you could keep doing it. And you see, the process of self-change will slowly evolve as you fix each one of those five things. Mm-hmm. That's great. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Keith, we've only got just a couple of minutes uh, left here. How can our listeners find out more about you and your activities, and uh, what do you see for yourself going forward? Well, what I've actually done, you two, is I've taken my practice, which has been here for a long time, and I've converted it all online. And what I wanted to do is, you know, I love helping people one-on-one, but it's somewhat limiting, and I really would like to get out there and help the masses. So for several years, I've been working on an online program called the Lean Body Coaching. And we take people that are extremely overweight, and we show them in a six-month program how to change their mindset, how to change their food. And the reaction has been, oh, we've had over 350 people sign up. Uh, we, we launched it almost a year ago, and we have an incredible community online that supports each other. Uh, we have everything is done in video format, so literally every week I'm talking directly to you through the computer. And so it's like having the one-on-one experience of coming into scene, but it's actually an online experience. So you can do it from anywhere in home, and that's really where my whole goal and objective has moved to is getting my entire clinic online, and then in about a year, I I may be actually closing down the clinic and just focusing on the online program. It's so incredible. Um, Everything's there. Every recipe, when you push the button, shows a video of how to make it within three minutes. It's pretty cool. So it's very vast, very deep. And everyone has their own personal coach trained by me. And we have 10 coaches that have all been trained by me. And when you sign up, you've got your own coach you can talk to anytime. And they're there to help you, guide you. And they design your individual program based off an interview they do with you. That's amazing. Well, Keith, we know you have much more to share with us, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Keith Klein, for joining us on The Wellness Connection. Well, let me say, guys, keep up the great work, man. You really do great work, and I love you both. Oh, we love you, too. Back at you, dude. We'll be right (laughs) back after this brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection and Voice America Digital Radio Network.
Do you or a family member have trouble concentrating, staying on task, remembering things? Does everyday life stress you out or are you in a bad mood? Well, we may have just the solution. Neurobiologics' new nutritional formula, Full Focus, created by leading neurotologist and neuroimmune specialist, Dr. Kendall Stewart, with 12 active ingredients carefully crafted by a physician to maximize brain performance, memory, and mood. For more information on this product and to view a video by Dr. Stewart explaining how Full Focus works and may be helpful to you or your family, please visit neurobiologics.com. Neurobiologics, where our mission is your health. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter or Radia, please send it via email to thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. That's thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Well, Ronnie, you know what that means. It's post time, time for the supplement of the week. And what supplement are we posting this week? Well, DIM is short for dioindolmethane. And DIM has the health promoting properties of plant indols found in cruciferous vegetables that include cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and cauliflower, all those things we didn't like as a kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but DIM is an estrogen balancer that promotes beneficial healthy estrogen metabolism in both women and men. A slow metabolism of estrogen leaves uh, too much unmetabolized active estrogen, also called estradiol, which can be a problem in women and men as well. Uh, by promoting a healthy estrogen metabolism, DIM adjusts the balance of estradiol to its good metabolites. Yes, researchers have documented that the balance of estrogen metabolites is an important factor in maintaining both breast and prostate health. DIM increases the specific aerobic metabolism for estrogen, multiplying the chance for estrogen to be broken down into its beneficial or good estrogen to methoxy metabolites while simultaneously reducing the levels of undesirable or bad estrogen metabolites. Many of the other benefits that are attributed to good estrogen metabolites include its ability to protect the heart and brain with its antioxidant activity. And Dr. Stewart and Neurobiologics have come out with DIM Pro, which not only has DIM, but it also includes calcium D-glucurate, now, this is important, and here's why adding calcium D-glucurate to DIM Pro is important. Hormones and other chemicals are conjugated in the liver by combining toxins with other substances to neutralize them and prepare them for elimination. So xenoestrogens, which are synthetic or natural chemical compounds that imitate estrogens, along with pollutants and toxins and carcinogens, are literally washed from the body by one form of conjugation called glucuronidation. That's a big one. <laughs> Glucuronic acid is conjugated or joined to various toxins in the liver so that they can be excreted through the bile or urine. And beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme that breaks the bond between the toxic, toxic compounds the body is trying to eliminate and the glucuronic acid is, that is responsible for eliminating them. 
So, but thanks to changes, you know, in our food supply and diet and overuse of antibiotics, the levels of beta-glucuronate food and diet overuse of antibiotics, the level of beta-glucuronidase are considerably higher in our bodies than ever before. So when beta-glucuronidase, so when beta-glucuronidase breaks the bond, okay, let me say it again. So when beta-glucuronidase breaks the bond, the hormone or toxin is once again released into the body instead of being excreted. The latest NIH National Cancer Institute study identified thousands of known human carcinogens in our environment. I know, Peter. Did you know that there are over 2,000 known carcinogens just in the average drinking water in the United States? Wow. Calcium deglucurate is a calcium salt found in foods such as apples, grapefruit, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, lettuce, and alfalfa, and it suppresses beta-glucuronidase and restores the glucuronidation detoxification pathway. The cool thing about um, about calcium deglucurate is that not only does it neutralize the effects of beta-glucuronidase, but it actually strengthens the bond between glucuronic acid and the cancer-causing toxins that are being flushed from the body. So I recommend both men and women take one DIMPRO in the AM and one DIMPRO in the PM. Yeah, I've been taking DIM for uh, quite a while now, and it certainly has made a difference for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And I, it's something that I have frequently recommended to both men and women. Yeah, good. Yep. And now it's time for the burning question where we answer those important health questions that you, the listeners, send in to us. It's important to note that any diagnosis of disease can only be provided by your medical doctor or other licensed healthcare professional. None of the information we present is intended for the diagnosis or treatment of disease. Today's burning question was submitted by who, Ronnie? This was from Colleen from Santa Fe, and she says, my doctor says I'm a poor methylator. What the heck is methylation? (laughs) Well, Colleen, I get this question often. Uh, methyl groups are essential for normal DNA cell replication, and they literally turn genes on or off. So bad genes can lead to birth defects and depression and cognitive decline, diseases and cancer, and can be expressed by a depletion of your body's methyl groups. So if you have depleted methyl groups and you're exposed to a toxin, an infection, or even a severe emotional stress, then you may express the bad gene, which can lead to a neurodegenerative disorder like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or an autoimmune condition or even cancer. So methylation reactions are involved in most body functions to some degree. Uh, This process of moving methyl groups around is necessary for the functioning of several biochemical functions such as DNA and RNA synthesis, creatinine generation, immune response involving in silencing viruses, etc. And this is why compromised methylation can cause or contribute to almost all health conditions. When we look at our genomics nutrition profile, either through, you know, a 23andMe or uh, another test, genetic test like that, we can determine whether you have what's called an MTHFR polymorphism, or SNP. SNP stands for singular nucleotide polymorphism, but that's why they call them SNPs. Um, About 50% of the population appear to have genetic variants of the MTHFR 
enzyme, causing them to have some difficulty resynthesizing methionine to homocysteine. And this can be a factor in cardiovascular disease, mental illness, and perhaps other health conditions such as fatigue and exhaustion. Yeah, methyl groups play a role in detoxification where methylation is primary uh, in removing toxins by helping to convert fat-soluble toxins to water-soluble so it can be excreted out of the kidney. Also, neurotransmitter synthesis and utilization where methylation is part of the synthesis of dopamine and serotonin. Yeah, meth uh, methylation is a key step in the formation of our enzymes and proteins. It's also involved in the presence Preservation of telomeres. Telomeres are the tails on DNA and chromosomes, and as we get older, these tails naturally shorten. Methylation is involved in converting homocysteine back to methionine, uh, and this is very, very critical in the body's detoxification ability, but homocysteine is a dangerous amino acid that acts like the glue that holds plaque together in the arteries. And methylation is involved in balancing hormones in the liver, such as restoring the proper balance of estrogens, for example, like we just talked about. Mm -hmm, exactly, and methylation reduces inflammation by toxin, toxin removal, uh, hormone balancing, neurotransmitter synthesis, and others. And methyl groups help to protect the mitochondria. They help adaptive energy production. And, it's, and it restores the level of SAM-E to prevent depression and other mental and physical uh, effects on the body. Plus, methyl groups are required to make coenzyme Q10. This vital substance, the ignition source of the cell, is needed for heart health and for energy production within the mitochondria. So, Colleen, now that you know how important methylation is, and if you're a poor methylator, if you have that MTHFR SNP, and all of the other processes can be compromised unless you have the right nutrient support. And basically what it is, is methylated folic acid. MTHFR stands for methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase, which is that enzyme that converts folic acid into methylfolate. So if you can't convert that very well, instead of taking folic acid, uh, in your vitamin supplements, you need to take a methyl folate. So, and usually some of those will actually say MTHF or 5-MTHF. That's the supplement you need to take uh, to help, you know, with that genetic SNP. And you can submit your own burning question by going to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the wellness connection, A-H-I, at gmail.com, and submit your own burning question. And tune in every week to hear if your question is being answered on the air. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. You're listening to the Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Do you have trouble with nervousness, trouble relaxing, or turning your brain off at night to fall asleep? Then we may have a natural solution just for you. Calming Cream from Neurobiologics, created by a leading neurosurgeon, provides five essential ingredients to help relax the neurotransmitters of the brain. Who wouldn't want to relax or wind down with a great smelling lotion? Visit neurobiologics.com or coffeewithdrstewart.com for details. Neurobiologics, we are changing lives one formula at a time.
You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection, A-H-I, at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Welcome back to the Wellness Connection and this week's drug-induced nutrient depletion update, which features calcium channel-blocking drugs like Norvasc or Plendil for high blood pressure. And the nutrient that just depletes is vitamin D. Well, as we've talked about before, vitamin D is essential for strong bones because it helps the body use calcium from the diet, and a deficiency can lead to soft bones and skeletal deformities. You know, as well, vitamin D compromises your immune system, or the deficiency can compromise your immune system. And here's how it works. T-cells are a type of white blood cell that circulate around our body, scanning for cellular abnormalities and infections. When a T cell is exposed to a foreign pathogen, it extends a signaling device or antenna known as a vitamin D receptor with which it searches for vitamin D. This means that the T cell must have vitamin D or activation of the cell will cease. So if the T cells cannot find enough vitamin D in the blood, they won't even begin to mobilize. So according to recent findings, the benefits of vitamin D in terms of bone strength and cardiovascular health are greatly improved when combined with vitamin K, specifically K2. Vitamin D3 improves your bone health by helping you absorb calcium. However, it is vitamin K2 that directs calcium to your bone to prevent it from being deposited in the wrong area. Think of it like this, like a rudder on a boat. It steers the calcium to where it's supposed to go. Rather than uh, to your arteries, it leads into your bone, and that way you can help avoid and remove a risk factor for atherosclerosis. And if you want to know how calcium channel blockers work, they function by blocking the entrance of calcium. Calcium channel blockers reduce electrical conduction within the heart decrease the force of contraction of the heart muscle cell and dilate arteries. So dilation of the arteries reduces blood pressure. And a special note, alcohol combined with a calcium channel blocker can cause severe side effects and may also affect the way the medication works. So if you purchase these drugs, be sure and talk to a qualified pharmacist or wellness consultant to help you uh, with finding the right supplement and dosage to complement your drug prescription. And now it's time for our health freedom segment. Each week during this segment, we'll be talking with renowned experts and advocates about our most precious right, the right to bodily integrity, the right to decide what we put into our bodies and how to care for them. Some of us call that health freedom. And today's returning special guest is attorney and activist Scott Tipps. He's president and legal counsel for the National Health Federation. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree, magna cum laude, from UCLA and subsequently graduated from the University of California Berkeley School of Law, where he was the managing editor of the California Law Review. Since 1989, Scott has been the general counsel for NHF, and in 2007, he became NHF president and has been a frequent speaker for the organization and for health freedom on several continents. Currently, he's primarily occupied with health freedom issues arising from national governments 
and international organizations such as the Codex Alimentarius Commission's attempt to limit individual freedom of choice in health matters. He has compiled, edited, and published a book on the subject entitled Codex Alimentarius Global Food Imperialism. He attends Codex meetings worldwide and has attended more Codex meetings than all other health freedom activists combined. Scott, welcome to the Wellness Connection. Thank you, Radia. Thank you, Peter, for that very kind and, and gracious introduction. It's nice to be on your program again. Well, thank you for being with us, and I want to uh, offer you a note of special thanks for the benefit of our listeners. Scott is talking to us from Nice, France today, and uh, he's there in the wee hours of the morning, so a, a very special thanks to taking the time to uh, speak with us, Scott. Uh, you know, we'll get right into the subject, and of course, that's one of your favorites, if not the favorite, and that's Codex. Uh, you've been uh, uh, really been quite well traveled here over the last several months. What's the latest that uh, you can report uh, on from the Codex talks? Well, the latest is really the Nutrition Committee meeting that was held in Berlin late last year. And there has been a new development in that sense. The pro-GMO forces, you know, our friends at Monsanto and Bayer, have been pushing to disguise GMO food products under other names. They come up with all sorts of creative ways of doing that. And one of the standards that was being produced at, at the Codex Nutrition Committee meeting was a definition for biofortification, which had started, and I'm not sure, Peter and Roddy, if I talked about this subject before on one of your shows, um, do you, do you recall if I spoke about biofortification or not? I don't think you did. Please educate us. Okay. Okay. Well, in that case, biofortification is uh, basically, it's very simply a method of increasing vitamin mineral content of usually basic food crops by really the time-honored conventional way of crossbreeding and definitely not through genetic engineering. In fact, there's a company that was promoting a standard, and it's very, because Codex Alimentarius creates standards for worldwide trade in food, if you get a Codex standard, it's pretty much your meal ticket for selling uh, your, your food product worldwide without any barriers, any trade barriers or the like. So here we had a company called Harvest Plus. This is the company behind biofortification. And they have created uh, potatoes, rice, and, and other basic crops that uh, people eat. And they've increased vitamin content or iron mineral content, in some cases iron content, for, for people to eat so they'll have more kind of nutritious meals. Uh, left out of the equation, of course, is the very simple fact that the reason that we even need these kind of crops, augmented crops, so to speak, is because the agricultural practices are so poor that the dirt and the nutritional uh, content of the dirt is eroding. And in fact, there's a guy named David Montgomery who wrote a book called Dirt, The Erosion of Civilizations. It points this out quite clearly. 
And that's really the root cause of all of this. So this is more like a Band-Aid that's being patched onto things, but that's not really even the point. The point is that somewhere along the line, something that was very good, this definition of biofortification to push more nutritious food crops with higher mineral and vitamin content, got hijacked by the Monsanto Bayer crowd, and they're trying to disguise, <clears throat> excuse me, and under the umbrella of biofortification, this word, they're GMO crops. So that consumers will be deceived, basically. In fact, it's marketing deception of the basic kind. We've been fighting this for several years now, and it's um, been approved uh, to be kicked over to the committee uh, called the Codex Committee on Food Labeling, and that's coming up in May, mid-May, in Ottawa, Canada. And so what will happen, I'm sorry, I just didn't know if I should take a breath to give you a chance to leap in, but just sort of to close the, <laughs> close, close the loop there. Um, the Food Labeling Committee is really the proper committee for this, but they also wanted to give the Nutrition Committee. You know, Codex has many different committees, and our organization, National Health Federation, can't cover all of the committees. It just be... Uh, uh, financial funding nightmare, but we do cover the essential ones. And in this case, the Food Labeling Committee is hosted by the Canadian government. It usually meets in Canada, and usually when it meets in Canada, it is Ottawa, the, the country's capital. And in mid-May, they will consider this standard, this biofortification that will include within it the Trojan horse of uh, of GMO foods, and then they will send that on to the commission, that's sort of the parent body for all these different committees that meets annually uh, in Geneva or Rome, it alternates, but it will meet in July of this year, the first week of July, and uh, I will definitely be attending that meeting, but in the meantime, we're going to try to stop this, and we have a number of countries on our side who actually look very strongly to the National Health Federation to lead the way. And <laughs> that's one reason the new chairwoman of the Nutrition Committee refused to call on me several times at the meeting, although I was still able to speak at least a couple of those, those times in, in, in any event. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, it, but there's so many more details about it. The Nepalese delegates spoke out uh, using pretty much our words. They, they really um, appreciated what we had to say at the meeting on the, uh, about marketing deception, about the fact that they were trying to, um, Monsanto that is, trying to sneak things in under this umbrella of biofortification. So just imagine, so there are foods out there on the marketplace. Now, you and I would be fooled, but the, the majority of consumers, they would say, oh, biofortification. Boy, that sounds really nice. I think that's safe. How could GMO foods be in that? If they even knew that GMO foods were a problem with the higher pesticide content, content with the fact that it can cause kidney failure, cause tumor growth, and the like. So this is a real concern, and most consumers out there has been shown in Canada and in uh, the United States, approximately 90% of 
want GMO foods labeled. But of course, Congress came in and with the Monsanto Protection Act, they forbade the various states like Vermont and others from requiring GMO labeling or GMO foods to be labeled. So this is yet another approach to push all of those GMO food crops around the world and this sort of monoculture that really will harm the health of all of us. Well, I will tell you, <laughs> you're not, we, God, every time we talk to you, Scott, I just want to just go, oh my God, what is going on on this planet? Yeah. I'm, certainly, I'm certainly glad that you're on top of things with this. And uh, you, we've got so much more to talk about and we want to keep, you know, we want to keep up on this. That's kind of all the time we have for today. But boy, we're sure going to get back to you and see how the prognosis of this is coming along because this is critical to people. And we're all very grateful that you're at the helm here. So be sure to tune in next week. And of course, be sure to submit your burning question the next time we answer the one maybe yours. I'm your co-host, Roddy yeah. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. So long for now from the Wellness Connection, brought to you by Wave and Neurobiologics. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Wellness Connection with Radia Gleese and Peter McCarthy. Be sure to join us for another episode next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.